Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. This week, we had a guest speaker join us and share a word. The following episode was recorded live during Sunday's service. Uh, Carrie Higgins, during our 21 days of prayer, did a devotional, um, just a, f- a short, like five or seven minute devotional on Samson. And it was so good. I said, Carrie, can you share that uh, this morning? And so uh, I'm so thankful for Carrie Higgins. Carrie Higgins is um, our uh, missionary in residence. He travels and does missions work around the world and uh, speaks in a lot of different churches. And usually I don't get to hear Carrie preach because often he speaks for me when I'm out of town. So I'm privileged this morning to get to hear from him. He's going to be moving ahead in our series uh, broken heroes. He's, uh, we've just started talking about Samson. Uh, what he's going to be talking about at Samson's more at the end of, of Samson's life. And I'm going to go back next week and pick up in chapter 14, but it really is just really even setting the stage for some of the things I want to talk about. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for my friend. Um, we have a lot of fun together doing ministry together. Uh, he's, he, uh, he's been a pastor for, um, is decades an okay word to use for, for a number of years. And, uh, but I'm telling you, he is, he, he, uh, he has a heart, a heart of gold and he loves you. He loves this church. He loves the Lord and he loves uh, ministering to pastors and leaders around the world. So can you guys welcome Carrie Higgins this morning? I love you, my friend. Welcome. Amen. Thanks. Jay. Yeah. We're going to be looking in judges chapter 16 in just a minute. Um, thanks, Jay, for the opportunity to share a little bit this morning. Um, our, our series from Judges is called Broken Heroes. And uh, I think there's probably no one better in Scripture that exemplifies brokenness than Samson. Um, I'm going to share a, a bit of a personal testimony this morning, but one thing I like to do before speaking is I want to make sure there's some kind of uh, identification with the group that I'm speaking with. So um, I ask you two questions. And the first one, I want you to raise your hand if, if it applies to you. And the second one, if it applies to you, I just want you to keep your hand down and just meditate on, uh, on, on the thought for, for the sermon this morning. But how many here have ever failed God? Jay, if you were a better pastor, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Not really. As you said, I have profound affection for you and love for you. And that obviously was a joke. Not, not rooted in truth. Um, the, second, the second question is much deeper. Don't raise your hand. Because I think all of us, again, by the show of the response to the last question, have failed God. How many today have failed God so much that you feel like you are a failure? Again, don't raise your hand. The testimony is this. 1997, I was uh, pastoring in Rochester, New York. Uh, Lisa and I were there with our four kids. They were obviously little ones at the time. And God began to stir my heart about finishing 
a master's degree. Now, that really is a weird thing for me to even say now because education, especially to that level, was never part of my trajectory. In in fact, I graduated high school because when I was a senior, my father found out that I was going to drop out. Dad had cancer at the time and basically made me promise him on his deathbed that I would graduate from high school because he had never graduated from high school. And he wanted me to do that. It took me seven years to get my bachelor's degree. Um, one thing I've noticed through the years is that when people graduate, um, they never say how long it took. Some it takes three years and some it takes seven And when I graduated with my bachelor's, I figured, I have far exceeded anything I will ever imagine doing. I'm done with my academic career. And then through the course of the next several years, I had a chance, again, almost accidentally, to pick up some classes toward a master's degree. Again, it wasn't a passion. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't something that I was driven to do. I just, I've done a lot of work with uh, construction and carpentry through the years. And so I know how to use tools. And I began to see that education was a tool. And a couple of the churches I worked for, they would, they would say, well, we'll pay for a couple of classes a year if you want to take classes. And, you know, again, I wasn't motivated toward education, but I was motivated toward free stuff. <laughs> and so in 1997... God began to uh, percolate in my heart, finishing a master's program that I had started about 11 years previous. Just a few classes here, there, and everywhere. And so we were pastoring in Rochester, New York, and uh, began in 1998 to, communi- to commute from Rochester to Springfield <laughs> for the one-week classes that they had at the Assemblies of God Seminary. And uh, it's about an 18-hour drive, so I'd preach on Sunday morning, have lunch with Lisa and the kids, and then I'd begin to drive. I'd drive 12, 13 hours to Effingham, Illinois, wake up at 7 o'clock Monday morning, drive the rest of the way into Springfield to be ready for class. It started at 1 o'clock. One o'clock Monday, we'd go till 10 o'clock every night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'd go till about 6 o'clock, have all of our classroom stuff in. I'd go sleep at my cousin's house north of town. Saturday morning, I'd get up, drive the 18 hours, be back in church on Sunday morning. Um, It got to be a little bit uh, wearying. So toward the end of 1998, I stopped at the Southern Missouri District Office of the Assemblies of God on Battlefield. and I'd uh, been with the Assemblies of God at that time. And the superintendent said, hey, Carrie, when are, when are you moving back? I said, well, that's why I'm here and began the process of coming back to Missouri. And uh, in uh, early 1999, we, we left Rochester and we moved to Washington, Missouri, about 180 miles up the road, which is going to make my commute much easier. And uh, 
So I was pastoring. I was working as a student. And I was doing neither of them well. And during the course of that year, I felt like God asked me to do something. And I began to fight with God because he'd asked me to do something that I didn't want to do. And eventually, the conflict between me and God became so great that I said, I'm leaving the church. We moved to Springfield for me to finish my degree. Had think At that time, I think I had three classes left. But I will tell you today, I had no sense of vision for using the degree because I had failed God so badly, I was convinced he was done with me. I had no vision for the future, but I had put so much time and money and energy into the previous elements of the master's program that I figured, well, I might as well finish this, even though God is done with me. See, I had, in my own eyes, I had become a failure. And uh, we moved back to town. I got a job working at Evangel in the central heating plant. If you've ever been to Evangel, been a student there, worked there, been on campus for any reason, it's highly probable that you have no idea where the central heating plant is. Dark, dreary, dusty, dirty building that coordinates all of the heat for the entire campus. And the way my schedule was, I worked Saturday and Sunday from 7 in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till 11. That meant that I couldn't ever go to church. Sunday mornings, Lisa and the kids would go to Central. Sunday nights, I guess I would go. Usually tired, but I'd go. And Wednesday night, so used to going, but Lisa was in the choir and the kids were doing youth and kids stuff. And I felt not only like I was a failure to God and a failure to the church, I felt like I was a failure to my family. They were doing all the church stuff, and I was stuck in a dirty, dusty prison with no vision for the future. And one Sunday morning, I was doing my religious due diligence while Lisa, kids were at church, and I was in my prison. I was reading the Word. And I read that morning the story of Samson. Again, the last several weeks we've been looking at it. Jay's been doing a great job and a few more weeks, I'm sure. But something struck me as I read the story of Samson. 
that in practical fact, I've been, this has been percolating in my heart for several weeks now. Um, middle of October, uh, I leave for two weeks of ministry in Papua New Guinea with our Foursquare missionaries, Brooke and Steve Highlander. And one of the things I'll be doing in Papua New Guinea is we'll be working in the prisons. If ever there is a message of redemption for those who feel like they are failures, it's this message for you today. Because at the end of his life, He'd been blinded, no vision. See, that's what happens in our lives when when we feel like a failure. We are blinded to God's vision for our lives. We feel like there's no hope and there's no future. And in that very, very uh, critical way of thinking, our lack of vision becomes a prison to us. We're able to function. We're able to go about the religious stuff of life but we're just kind of on autopilot because we are failures in our own eyes. So Samson in prison, the Philistine army is having a big party and they're high in spirits. They're having a great old time. And someone says, hey, we have seen our former tormentor This man named Samson, we have seen him kind of stumbling and bumbling around because he he can't see anymore. And And in his lack of vision, he's become funny to us. They said, bring bring him out so we can laugh at him some more. Ha ha ha. God's failure. We're going to laugh at him. And Samson stumbles out. I pick up the reading in verse uh, uh, 25, again, kind of recapturing some of those thoughts. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When When they stood him there among the pillars, Samson said to the servant, who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Verse 28, then Samson prayed. He prayed what I call a failure's prayer. Because as I read this passage on that day in January or February of the year 2000, this became my prayer. And God touched me. And again, we we can all raise our hand and say, I have failed God. But maybe this morning you are sitting here and you are thinking, I have failed God so badly, so often, so egregiously that I have become a failure. The word for you today is this prayer. I'm going to teach you one of the great and simple prayers 
in the entire Word of God. We don't have PowerPoint this morning. My computer decided to uh, uh, die, and uh, overnight, I got up this morning to put the PowerPoint on my flash drive to bring it in, and computer was dead. But this is so simple. The first thing Samson prayed, O oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. If you're taking notes this morning, the first step is, Lord, remember me. Three simple words, Lord, remember me. We've heard about Samson's uh, beginning of his life. His parents were older. They were childless. And God uh, provided a miraculous birth to Manoah and his unnamed wife. (laughs) I remembered what you said. (laughs) And Samson grew up with a godly heritage in a godly home. And and again, just being a, a parent of four children who are, again, now are all grown I know what it was like when our kids were little. Lisa and I both would take turns holding them and praying for them and singing songs of praise to impart within them the knowledge of the glory of the goodness of God. And I imagine in my heart, Manoah and his wife have done the same thing to Samson. Growing up with a godly heritage, knowing that God had called him. God had a special purpose for his life. And yet as his life unfolds, time after time after time after time, Samson fails God. And he's away from God. And he prays this simple prayer, Lord, remember me. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of brokenness. It's a prayer that says, oh God, I'm sorry I have failed you. But my spiritual heritage tells me that you are the faithful I am. And even though I have failed you, I believe that you will never fail me. God will never fail us. In fact, at my funeral, when that takes place in 40 or 50 or 60 years, and Jay's leading the service (laughs) as a very old man, one of the songs at my funeral service will be an old hymn called, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God my Father, because He has been faithful God has been faithful to me even when I failed him. So when I'm having a bad day, (laughs) when I mess up, I say, Lord, remember me. The second thing, Samson prays. He says, oh, Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me. Hmm. I asked myself, what was it 
about Samson's life that led him to become weak. He was a man of great promise, spiritual heritage, and yet he kept failing God. What was it that kept him from becoming the strong and mighty warrior that God intended him to be? What was it that made him spiritually weak? And I found three things in Samson's life that made him weak. And I believe these three things make us weak even today. Again, uh, Samson was a child of great promise, and yet he loved the Philistines, the enemy of God. He loved the things of the world. He loved the things of the world. And in my prison at Evangel, as I read that and I processed this, I asked myself, what was it about the things of the world that was weakening me? Had to come to grips with some stuff. Because I really wanted to be known by my peers, and I wanted to be known by the people in our district office and even in our headquarters office. I wanted to be known as a good pastor. And I was living my life to impress them. And it was weakening me. You see, whenever we live our lives to impress other people, (laughs) it will make us weak in our spiritual faith. When we love the things of the world, the applause of man, the stuff of this world. Again, we're called to be missionally minded. We're supposed to love the world, (laughs) but we're not supposed to love the stuff. And God began to reorient some things in my heart. The second thing that I think we can see in Samson's life that weakened him is that he had some areas of unconfessed sin in his life. Yep, I'm just, I got to talk about sin. <laughs> Samson had been called to live a life of holiness. And as a Nazarite, there were some specific requirements to his life. Don't shave. Don't drink wine. And uh, what was the other one, Jay? (laughs) Shave, don't drink wine. And don't be around dead things. And as we read through Samson's life, he's living as close to the edge as possible, straddling a fence between, oh, I'm following God, but I still want to hang out with the, the, the stuff of the world. I still want to live in sin. I want both ways. I'm still kind of on my way, way out to church this morning. I, I, I saw an uh, example of this way of Christian living. There was a squirrel in the middle of the road. 
And as the squirrel heard my car and felt the vibrations of my car, the squirrel did this. <laughs> he, he didn't know which way, or she didn't know which way to go. And that's how we live our, some people live their Christian life. Oh, I'm going to be over here with the world. No, I'm going to be over here with the church. No, I'm going to be over here with the world. No, I'm going to be over here. I'm sad to say that the squirrel didn't make it. (laughs) And I'm sad to say that Christians who live their life like this don't make it because we're falling in love with our sin. What was it that caused Samson to be weakened in his faith? Love the things of the world? Living in unconfessed sin. And thirdly, he had no concept of how important the Holy Spirit was to his life. We read through. He's engaged with Delilah. And she says, oh, tell me why you are so strong. Now, I have to, I have to interject this here. I have a personal belief that Samson was not an Old Testament version of Hulk Hogan. This massive human being with, with huge biceps and just, you know, when, when the Bible describes Goliath... We hear how tall he is and how big Goliath is. We don't read that description of Samson. I think our Sunday school material and some of the videos we've seen and the movies we've seen portray him as being this incredibly huge human being. I don't think that was it. Because if he was Hulk Hogan-ish, people wouldn't wonder why he was so strong. I think he was a version of me in high school. <laughs> End of my sophomore year, I was five foot two, weighed 112 pounds. I think that's what Samson looked like. And nobody could figure out why this guy was so strong. He's a runt. He looks like a wimp. Nobody could figure out why Samson was so strong. And Samson was so strong because he had an anointing and and the presence of the Holy Spirit on his life. And the Holy Spirit was present in his life in such a way that he did things that were impossible in the natural realm. And as Samson had this dialogue with Delilah, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, he finally told her that if my hair is cut off, I'll lose all my strength. I don't think his strength was in his hair. I think cutting off his hair was a final act of disobedience. And God said, I will now remove my spirit from him. 
fact, as you read the story, Samson says, Delilah, oh, Delilah, Delilah, the, the Philistines are upon you. He says, I will get up like I've done before, and I will take care of the Philistines. And the Bible says, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. When David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, I think, had his encounter with Delilah, or Bathsheba, rather. And then David had Bathsheba's husband killed. And Nathan the prophet came to David and said, You are the man who has committed this egregious sin. David wrote Psalm 51 in repentance. And David says in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. When we have this affection for the things of the world and when we live in unconfessed sin, we soon get to a point where the, where the Lord begins to withdraw his spirit from us. David says, or Samson says, strengthen me. As we process that this morning, I think there are some natural, natural responses. If those are the three things that led Samson to being weak, I think the three responses are, oh God, Help me to live a life that's holy and consecrated to you. Convict me of my sin so that I might repent and turn fully to you and give me a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. If those are the things that, again, weakened Samson, and I believe they weaken us, wouldn't that be a natural response about how God would strengthen us? Lord, take from me a desire for the things of this world. Lord, forgive me of all my sin. Lord, give me a fresh anointing and a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. I don't want to just live with a religious tradition. I don't want to live back and forth. I want to live fully committed and consecrated to you. A failure's prayer. Samson said, remember me. Strengthen me. And then verse 30, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And uh, I've, I've, I've changed this so it kind of fits the pattern that I'm using. So the last prayer isn't, Oh, Lord, help me kill more people today than I've ever killed before. I don't think that's a very effective way to pray. But the simple prayer that I pray is, Lord, remember me, strengthen me, and use me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, tells us the secret for God using us. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. See? I'm willing to die with the Philistines. I'm willing to die. I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live, I live now in the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. The simple prayer for a person who has failed God and the simple prayer 
for those who perhaps feel like they are failures is remember me, strengthen me, use me. There have been times in my life when people have hurt me, they've disappointed me, and then they come to me and and ask for forgiveness. And it's at times very difficult for me to say, I will do that. I will trust you again. (laughs) Because trust is hard to rebuild. But the amazing thing about God is this. When Samson prayed that prayer, Lord, use me, you know what we have evidence of? We have evidence that God remembered him. We have evidence that God strengthened him. We have evidence that God was willing to use him. And you know how long that all took? It's second. An instantaneous second because God used him immediately on the spot. God said, I haven't forgotten you. God says, I'll strengthen you right now for the task at hand. God says, I will use you and do greater things today than you've ever done before. So as I sat in the central heating plant office at Evangel, feeling like a failure, I said, oh, God, would you remember me again? Oh, God. Would you strengthen me again? Oh, God, would you use me again? And God began to restore my vision. God began to release me from that self-imposed prison. This morning we sang a song about the chains that fell off. Crazy thing. I had no sense of ministry, purpose, function at all 18 years ago. God let me finish that degree. It took me 15 years to get my first master's from the time I started to the time I graduated. You know, some people graduate summa cum laude and magna cum laude. I graduated, thank the Lord. <laughs> Since that time, pastored a church, planted a church, been around the globe preaching, teaching. When I go to Papua New Guinea, it will be my 32nd country. I had no no sense of vision. But God, in an instant, gave me a vision and said, you're not a failure. And even as we sang this morning, we were singing, I am a child of God. I sang that with tears streaming down my cheek. Because I once was a failure. And I've been set free. And I'm used by God. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us and we pray you have a blessed day.